I'm going to ask you, church, to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. It's our second Sunday in a row in the book of Proverbs as we continue. We began this uh, look, really, and I did not intend for it to start out this way, uh, but it certainly developed into such that you can include our last two sermons and this morning's sermon really as a subset of our larger series, right? We've been going through the storyline of Scripture and marching through chronologically looking at God's story of redemptive history, uh, revealing himself through his word, making himself known in the hearts of his people and drawing to himself uh, uh, people who would make his name known among every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. And so, really these last three Sundays, this Sunday included, we've been in this uh, theme of wisdom. As we looked at the life of Solomon uh, two weeks ago, and we saw the, the rise and the fall of Solomon, pointing us to the truth that God was setting about through Solomon to make his people know that there was still one to come from the line of David, who was an even better king than David and more wiser than Solomon, that being Jesus. And so we see that as each successive uh, person and king and leader falls in the line and the history of the people of Israel, all of them continually showing us that the answer is not in man, but in the God-man, Christ. And so we continue to march toward that line, continue to look forward with our, and read the, all of this through the lens of Christ. So that carried us then last week to the writings of Solomon. Because in the history and the, the storyline of Solomon there in 1 Kings, we saw that he wrote after he, the Lord asked him the open question of ask me what you shall want. And he asked for wisdom. And so the Lord grants it to him. We saw that he wrote many psalms and proverbs. And so we moved to Proverbs chapter 1 last week. And there we saw that while knowledge and wisdom run hand in hand together, there is a distinct difference between the two. That being that wisdom is the right application of knowledge. That it's possible, we saw and we talked about last week, it's possible to fill our heads with knowledge of this world and the world that God has created, but be completely ignorant of wisdom and the application of that knowledge toward worshiping God. And so, now, I don't know about you, church, but I am in increasing need of wisdom and discernment. And maybe you've heard me pray many times before, uh, a pretty consistent theme in my prayers is asking the Lord for such, for wisdom and discernment. And maybe you've thought to yourself, why does he pray that so much? It's because I need it, right? So if there was any takeaway from last week, I hope it's this, that we'll all realize our need for wisdom and that our flesh is actively opposed to it. Like our, our natural desire is to gain knowledge to puff up, that puffs up rather than a knowledge that leads to a wisdom and application of worship of God. That we would all with unveiled eyes look to the cross of Christ. There seeing our need to obediently follow Christ by crucifying our flesh, living a new life in complete fear and reverence of God the Father through faith 
in Christ the Son. And that's what I want us to be humbled by this morning. As you see on the title there on your outline, hopefully you grabbed one on the way in, but uh, that, as we walk through God's word this morning, we'll fill in those blanks. But you can see the title there. Last week was the right application of knowledge, and we learned that was wisdom, right? That's what wisdom is, the right application of knowledge. Now, this week, the title is The Right Application of Wisdom. And I want us to see what that looks like. What does it look like for us to live and to walk in wisdom? What is the fruit of that? What does that look like in us? And I think we see that here in Proverbs 16. So I'll ask you to stand once again in honor of the reading of God's word as we read from Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 9 is our text this morning. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. This is the word of God. Let's pray, church. God, as we come before your word, we ask that it would pierce us to the heart, that it would reveal within us the arrogant hearts of abomination, which we have all been born into this world with, but how you have made that, laid that punishment of our arrogant hearts on the cross of Christ. And that through trusting in him, as the testimonies that we've seen physically displayed before us by dying to self, trusting in the work of Christ on the cross, we too can be saved. So God, I pray that that testimony would ring out in the hearts of each of us. For those of us who've been saved, I pray that that testimony would be emboldening and encouraging. For those who have not trusted in you, Pray that you would draw them to yourself through those testimonies this morning and through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, church. So, chapter 10 of Proverbs uh, begins what is probably the more well-known literary structure and style and format of Proverbs, right? That being these individual sayings of wisdom. And these come after the first nine chapters of Proverbs, which are longer wisdom poems. And that's what we looked at last week in Proverbs 1, as we looked at several other references from those first nine. Now, these individual sayings of wisdom that we move into from chapters 10 to 22, um, these individual sayings of wisdom still tell the story of what day-to-day -day practical application of God's word looks like. And that's the idea here is that they're telling us what it looks like to live a life in complete submission to the realities and the truths that we read in the first nine chapters. So we have those longer wisdom poems which are revealing to us that the, beginning, uh, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, 
right? And the continued theme throughout that. And now we have these shorter, more condensed uh, sayings of wisdom, all of them having to do with the day-to-day practical application of what that looks like for us to live in complete reverence in awe of the Lord and for his word to have complete governance in our life. So we begin again there with verse 1 of chapter 16. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And so these uh, sayings, really, these, these shorter wisdom uh, sayings are constructed in such a way as to, to reveal just some, some uh, self-evident truths, some things that we can look at in the world around us. And looking at them through the lens of God's word, we can say this is the reality of how the, of God has constructed his world and how we are to live in it. And the first verse of this proverb sets up a contrast of the wills. All right? And so in one corner, you look at this like a, like a boxing match, right? In one corner, we have our own will, and that is the will of the heart. Okay? That's how it's described here. That's how it's uh, alliterated. And the other corner... We have God's will, that of his sovereign wisdom. And so we're shown the contrast between these two. And we're also shown which one wins out every time. That being God's will, obviously, right? So let's consider these two. One thing, and in order for us to consider these two, one thing we need to understand, which God's word makes clear for us over and over again, is that the will of the heart only leads to destruction. It just so succinctly and truthfully lays out the reality that when we follow our way, when we get what we want, when we do things naturally, or what we think is natural, rather, that it only leads to destruction. And our society would have us think that the heart is the preeminent determiner of our future. That our heart is the preeminent determiner of our potential and of our ultimate satisfaction. Follow your heart and let all your dreams come true. That's the way of the world. That's the message of the world consistently. And one of the things I think that Proverbs highlights for us is that it's not just um, tailed, it's not just pinned down to our society and our culture but that this has been a reality since the fall. So what this verse does is show us that man's desire to follow one's heart is nothing new. But again, has rather been consistent since the fall. That when we want to follow our heart, that's our natural desire in a world that is broken by sin. That's one of the things that makes this modern obsession with self so laughable. Is that the primary message is let's celebrate uniqueness, right? Celebrate who you realize yourself to be. That's the idea. That's the message of the world. And in order to do this, though, one must bow the knee, use the same lingo, wave the same flag, and in doing so is following in line with every natural human heart that has been beating since the fall. So rather, it is not unique, but it's just following the crowd to follow one's heart. And that's the reality that God's word time and again makes clear, but Proverbs makes it so succinctly clear for us. 
So here's what this verse does for us. It reveals that the heart actually only obscures reality. That's all the heart can do. The heart can only obscure reality. If we had an open mic right now, we could fill hours of time simply with testimonies of when we listened to the lies of our hearts and it left us far worse because of it. And so I want to begin by looking at the top of your outline there with wisdom versus the heart. That's what kind of is this brought up here. This, these two contrasting wills. Wisdom clarifies. That's the first thing that we're seeing here. And the heart obscures. So wisdom clarifies. The heart obscures. Wisdom makes things easily understood in the light of God's providence and creative wisdom and will. The heart wants to obscure that with our own will. Paul makes this evident. I'll encourage you to turn in your Bibles, keeping your finger there as we just got started here in, in Proverbs 16. But turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 is where this distinction is made abundantly clear through the lens of Christ. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So suppression of truth is what is natural to our hearts. Like notice that right off the bat here. That suppression of truth, that the obscurity of life comes from one place, the human heart. Okay? So we continue reading there. Verse 19 of Romans 1. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because... God has shown it to them. So God has graciously revealed in his creative order the reality of himself. He's made himself known. But what has obscured that from our view? Our own hearts. And so, well, we continue reading, verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So all mankind has no excuse because God has made him clearly, plainly, evidently known. But what has obscured that? What has obscured us from being able to see that and realize it and know it? Our hearts. For although, verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So, in exchange for worshiping the Creator, we worshiped the created, right? And namely, ourselves. That is the other area where we, as we continue reading in Proverbs here in a little bit, we'll see it makes evident that the primary place which our heart obscures and wants us to worship is ourselves. So we continue reading verse 24 there. Therefore, so because of this, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. 
Amen. So what we see here is that wisdom displays the will of God and discards the plans of the heart. So when we seek to walk in wisdom, the first place which we must constantly be aware of, which we must constantly be uh, a little weary of and continually filtering is our own heart. And that's what wisdom does. It says, don't listen to your heart, listen to the word. Listen to the creator rather than the creature. And that's what we see here. The plans of the heart, those belong to man. Like those are his. And it'll lead us into every dark tunnel we can find ourselves in. But the answer of the tongue, so what ultimately comes about, is from the Lord. And so what we see here is that the Lord gives us up to the desires of our heart. That's what he has done to the world. The plans of the heart, those belong to man. I'll give it to you. But guess what? The answer of the tongue, ultimately what comes to happen, what comes to be, will be from the Lord and according to his purpose and ways. So wisdom displays the will of God and discards the plans of the heart. And we see that as we continue reading there in verse 2. All the waves of a man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. So anytime we look at ourselves through the lens of our own heart, what are we going to see? Everything's good. Right? We're going to see that we are being deceived. With God, it is not so. He weighs the Spirit. Therefore, His wisdom and word shine light on that which our heart hides in darkness. And so the next point there, the sub-point there on your outline on wisdom versus the heart is that the heart is self-serving. The heart only seeks to serve the self, which is why we see continually throughout Scripture the theme that we need a new heart because the heart that we have is dead. It's stony, hard, and cold is what we see in Jeremiah. Therefore, I will give you a new heart. In the new covenant is what we see in Jeremiah. So the heart is self-serving, but wisdom is forthright. So wisdom is honest. It shows us a clear depiction of ourselves, clearer than we could get on our own. If you want the most honest perception of yourself, look at yourself through the lens of biblical wisdom, and you'll be humbled faster than you can look away. Right? My, my children have... Horrible cases of bed hair constantly. And so it's one of those things like they come around, it's a joke. I'll go, hey, woo. You know, like they'll come around the corner, they'll wake up, just, you know, just craziness, okay? Now, a lot of ourselves, when we, when we look in the mirror and we see something like that, we're like, whoa, hey, don't want to see that, right? Because it's, it's the honest, true depiction first thing in the morning. But, but that's what wisdom does. It doesn't allow us to look away. It says, hey, this is who you really are. At your core. So know it. Submit to it. Die to it. The heart is self-serving. Wisdom is forthright. And it gives us an honest depiction of ourselves. We'd, we go on to see this in chapter 24 of Proverbs in verse 12. If you say, behold, we did not know this. 
that being know of our own sin, know about uh, how we have offended God is the context there. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay the man according to his work? And so there, there's no avoiding the reality of our sinfulness. Wisdom helps us to cut through the lies of our own fallen biases to see the truth of how God sees us. Created in his image? Yes, absolutely. But broken by sin. Immeasurably valuable? Of course. But unceasingly rebellious. You see, the modern progressive Christianity would only seek to highlight and sit on that we are created in God's image. We're immeasurably valuable. And so they'll use that to distort and excuse any number and affirm any number of sins. But the, the balance of justice and reality is that yes, we're created in God's image. Yes, we're immeasurably valuable. But the reality of our hearts is unavoidable. We are created in his image, but broken by sin. We are immeasurably valuable, but still unceasingly rebellious. So our sinful hearts would have us continually believe that the problem never lies with us. That's what our hearts would have us believe. That we and all people are, we're mostly good. Trying to do the right thing. But when faced with anything contrary, the heart distorts reality and judges ourselves solely on our intentions rather than reality. I tried. I meant to do better. Doesn't that count for something? See, wisdom illuminates our sinfulness so that there is nowhere to hide from the truth. Wisdom says just a few verses later in Proverbs 16, verse 11, a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. So our heart can distort, our heart can trick, our heart can make us feel like everybody is mostly good and that that counts for something. But when the time comes and we're on those scales of justice, the balance scales are his so we're not judged based off what our heart sets as right and wrong. We're judged off the truth of what is right and wrong based off of God's wisdom and will. Only God can judge me. Yes, indeed. And the just judge of the earth shall do what is right. Therefore, let us submit ourselves to him. As we continue reading, pick back up in verse 3. So we saw all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So ultimately, judgment, justice, what is right and true cannot be distorted by our own hearts. So in wisdom versus the heart, wisdom wins, right? So we continue reading to see, verse 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So when our work is committed to the Lord, rather than relying solely on our preparation, our ability, our own strength, 
we realize that our plans have been established by his grace and for his glory. We realize that even that which we would define as tragedy, trial, tribulation, even those things are included in his good purpose to glorify himself and sanctify us. Walking in wisdom reveals the joy of this world to be a facade. And that's the next point there on your outline, to walk in wisdom is to find joy in the Lord. Our hearts would have us find joy in this world. Our hearts would have us believe that, it's, that we are able to find joy in this world. Wisdom reveals that joy must be found and can only be found in the Lord. Because when our fulfillment comes from finding joy in the Lord, we find rest in his sovereignty. That's the idea here. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. He's made everything for its purpose. Even the wicked for the day of disaster. If you find yourself constantly stressed about what's next, constantly worried about things not adding up, constantly overwhelmed at what else needs to be done, ask yourself this, who is my work being committed to? I want to be authentic with you, church. Your pastor had to preach this to his own heart this week. I allowed myself to get overwhelmed by preparing to be gone for a week, wanting to make sure that my family was taken care of. We were getting ready to go on a little family getaway for the last three days, starting on Thursday, and we came back yesterday. And so I was just, just things were just kind of adding up. I wanted to make sure that I was squared away, sermon prep-wise, before I went. So much so that on Tuesday, Brooke called me with just a simple question. And it's not like I was belligerent or anything, but I was not gracious or loving in my response to her just simply calling me to ask me a question. And then, so, uh, I, so much so that I also considered not going on that little three-day family trip that my mom had planned for us and that we went on. So I was prepared to sacrifice time with my family on the altar of personal pride. And I was also not loving or gracious with my wife. And so I get done with my own personal pity party of pride afterwards, right? And I go back to preparing and then I read verse three. <laughs> Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established, right? So to walk in wisdom is to realize that it's not all about me. Never has been, never will be. It's to find our joy, not in what we can control, but it's to find our joy by realizing that we have no control. We read this in Romans 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And that is wisdom my friends, is that is living in that place of not just knowing that and having that in our minds, but continually submitting to that with how we live, how we treat one another. So I had to repent to my wife. I had to, I went on that family trip and I was so, so glad I did. 
In other words, wisdom simply aligns our hearts and minds with the true reality of God's created order, placing him as Lord of all. That's what we see as we continue reading. Pick back up there in verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Now, pause right there. If there's anything that we've learned so far, it's that all of our hearts are what? Arrogant, right? So everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Because this is another one of those things. We talked about this last week with another proverb, but there's another one of those verses, right, that we can read it and think about other people. Think about someone else. Is that everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. So who is the one who is steadfastly loving and faithful? It's not us, because we have the arrogant heart. It's God. And where has he shown his steadfast loving faithfulness in atoning for iniquity? On the cross of Christ. And so where all of us have an arrogant, unfaithful heart in our abomination to the Lord, he has steadfastly and lovingly and faithfully shown that iniquity is atoned for by the fear of the Lord. You see, the next point there on your outline is that the heart points us to the throne. The heart points us to the throne. The heart wants to say, you belong there. Wisdom points us to the cross. If you want to follow the mantra of the world, which is to follow your heart, indulge in every desire, and be true to who you are, go right ahead. That will only live you, leave you sitting on a throne of lies. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. We see these very truths addressed. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16. So Jesus is sending out his 12 apostles. And he says to them, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So wisdom is not always having the right answer, but rather knowing from whom the right answer comes. So Jesus says of his apostles, those whom he is sending out, 
that the need for us is to walk in wisdom, to be wise as serpent, innocent as doves, weary of men. Why? Because they will deliver you over. The persecution is coming. The pressing nature of culture and the world will be against you. You're going to be dragged before governors and kings. When they deliver you over, don't worry about what you're going to say because what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. It's not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaks through you. I want us to see here, in the next point there on your island, the right application of wisdom is to rightly walk with Christ. So if you want to know how to protect your marriage, rightly walk in the wisdom of Christ. You want to know how to raise your children, rightly walk in the wisdom of Christ. You want to know how to be a better witness to be more bold for the gospel, to know what it looks like to, to step out in faith. Walk in the wisdom of Christ. You want to know how to endure in your old age, wondering how you can be of use to the kingdom. Walk in the wisdom of Christ. And so what is the wisdom of Christ? Because Jesus goes on to continue to speak here and pick, up, uh, pick back up in verse 26. there of Matthew chapter 10. And so as he goes to continue to speak about being hated uh, for the word of the gospel, he goes to say, verse 26, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? So don't have any fear of this world because why? Because the Lord is the one who holds his purposes and his plans, and they will be accomplished. What did we read there back in Proverbs? Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And what do we read here as we continue reading? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? So that's two sparrows, one penny, which means what? They're both worth half a cent. What are you saying? They're not worth anything. And what does he say? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So even two sparrows, just worth one penny, half a cent each, right? They don't even fall to the ground without that being of the Lord's providential plan and guidance. And you're worth way more than many sparrows. So he's saying, realize the, the weight here. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. He goes on to say this in verse 38. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So this is the wisdom of Christ. That joy cannot be found in this life, but only in surrendering this life to him. To living completely sold out. To not only just saying, I love Jesus, I want to be like Christ, but to taking up your cross to walking that, to that hill yourself, crucifying your flesh and saying, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The wisdom of Christ is to kill the flesh and walk by the Spirit. Not to be wise in our own mind, but to kill the flesh and be completely dependent upon Him. This is what it looks like to be wise. This is what it looks like to apply wisdom, to deny the self, and to submit wholly to the sovereign will of God. And there, find yourself established. So what does that look like? Let's continue reading there. Back in Proverbs. So when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. So even his enemies can't do anything to him. Why? Because even if they did do something, it would be in alignment with God's purposes and plans. And so God is glorified nonetheless. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Why? Because if you find your life here, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for the sake of Christ, you find it. The heart of man plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps. Let's pray, church. God, we love you. As we come before you, we pray that you would help us to be a people who do not seek to plan our own ways, but who apply wisdom by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following you. Who through wisdom realize that we don't have the answers, that we can't make the way. There's only through total submission to you, to dying to ourselves, that we can truly find joy in life. So God, I pray now for anyone here who does not know these truths, who is not living these truths, that as you are drawing them to yourself through the preaching of your word, through the testimony that we've seen displayed here today, that you would pierce them to the heart and move them in obedience. For those of us who know you, God, continue to give us a heart of wisdom. Continue to put us in that proper posture of reverent awe and fear of you, especially in those moments of pride and arrogance. Remind us of your steadfast, faithful love by which our iniquity was atoned for on the cross of Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.